Amen. And uh, before we uh, get into the Word and open our Bibles, open your phones. Uh, we're going to do something fun real quick. In your phones, if you have uh, Facebook or Instagram, you can go to New Hope Community H&L, New Hope Community Honolulu. And I just want to highlight, happy Veterans Day, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, just want to highlight... I know we want to honor the veterans and everything, and sometimes it's just like a sea of veterans, but I want to put a face to that. I know we have Dwight here, and we have Stephen and a couple other people in the first service, but, um, you know, in our Instagram post, we highlighted one of our uh, uh, just valuable church members. So if you look on your Instagram, New Hope Community HNL, we'll be doing one today. We'll be doing Dana Mueller, and then tomorrow, we're going to do Dwight Bevel and uh, highlight them. But uh, what we're going to do is, just in light of Veterans Day, uh, it says right here, there's a picture of uh, Chels, if you didn't know that. So in honor of this Veterans Day weekend, we recognize Colonel Retired Chelsea Che, commissioned in 1982 from the United States Military Academy at West Point, served in the U.S. Army for 30 years, 10 years active. All right. Not only that, as he, 10 years he was a part of an army ranger. He saw combat when his unit took down corrupt dictator Noriega in Panama. Now retired, he serves the Lord through his business, DPNR, and his two sons, Michael and Joshua, also serve in the U.S. Army. So I uh, just want to you know, uh, make sure that all the veterans that we just give them a fist bump, a shaka, a high five, and a hug, and just a thank you to them. Could we just say thank you again once more, veterans? <laughs> Amen. So there's the pictures over there. Would you go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And today we're going to be talking about laying up treasures in the last days. Laying up treasures in the last days. And just a heads up, uh, today will not be the funnest or uh, seeker-sensitive service we'll have, but it is something that's very important because this is a big advantage of why we do a book study verse by verse. So, the, so that we don't skip over things that are uncomfortable to us that we don't treat the Word of God, that we don't treat this like a buffet, right? Where we pick and choose. Like when I go, for example, or we go to pyology. How many of you guys have been to pyology, right? You go to pyology and olives. I don't like olives. I'm like, nah, skip. I like bacon. More, please? Oh, is that enough? No, another handful piece? Okay, right? And, and sometimes we do that to the Word of God where we pick and choose what we like pick and choose what's comfortable for us, but there's things today that we're going to learn about laying up treasures in the last days. And because if there's anything that can be said about our culture is that we like to, we like stuff. Only in hashtag America do we have Thanksgiving, and in one day we have a, a time to celebrate and be grateful for all that we have Six hours later, we stand in line <laughs> to get more stuff for Black Friday. Now, there's a movement in our culture and worldwide. It's called the minimalist movement. I think it was, especially over here, it probably got made famous by Marie Kondo on Netflix, Tidying Up. 
How many of you guys tried to do that? Tried to thank each clothing, right? Clothing article, okay. And so minimalist movement, the reason for that is they were seeing, man, like Americans, we really like stuff. Did you know there are more self-storage facilities in America than McDonald's and Starbucks combined? Nuts, yeah? Crazy. If you think about our beautiful Hawaii Kai, right? Coco Marina or um, Hawaii Kai Town Center. It's like beautiful, it's ocean. And there's that big giant building. Do you guys know what that is? It's self-storage. Air-conditioned, multiple levels, grave, you know. There, listen, in the United States, there are 48,500 self-storage facilities compared to 14,350 McDonald's in the United States and 11,962 Starbucks coffee shops in 2014. You put those two things combined, that's about 26,000 almost, and if you double that, it's almost double the Starbucks and McDonald's combined would equal the amount of storage facility units. Why? Because we like stuff right? Why? Because I believe James is very relevant to us. We like to lay up treasure in the last days. And this is something that we can't just gloss over. This is not something that we could just skip, but this is something that the Word of God needs to examine us, reveal the motives of our heart, reveal areas of idolatry, reveal areas of covetousness, and finding our joy and satisfaction in things instead of God. And so with that, if we could all stand together, we're going to read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Right? Come now, you rich. That's in the plural, you rich people. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. I, I believe this is the key in this context. Verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and you've murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit, God. Because apart from your spirit, I might as well be reading from the telephone book. I might, just, might as well just be talking about opinion or sports and things that don't matter. That apart from your Holy Spirit, the things about, I'm about to say would just be gibberish. One from one ear and right out the other. So would you, Holy Spirit, make our hearts fertile ground to receive your word? Would you develop in us, God, just a self-awareness, blind spots where we think we're 
righteous or we think we're okay, but your word reveals itself and it shows that we're really not. So, Father, we need your grace. We humble ourselves, O oh God, so that we can receive mercies and grace, Lord, so that we can follow you and love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and be like your son, Jesus, in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, James chapter 5, verse 1, it starts off with this prophetic oracle of judgment. It's not a warning. It's a straight-up judgment. In, in the Greek, it says, agenun. You could find that in chapter 4, verse 13, which Renee talked about last week, where he says, Come now, those of you who say, I will go to this town or that town and will make a profit. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills. In chapter 5, he takes this same formula of come now, and he's applying it not just to everybody, but he's applying it specifically to the rich. Now, if you read the gospel, specifically if you read Matthew chapter 5 and the kingdom of God, and if you read the Beatitudes, it would seem like God is pro-poor, anti-rich. Just like we kind of get this idea in James. But is that really the case? Is this really the case? Because the thing is, if we read this, you're just like, really, why are we going over this? I'm not rich. I have two jobs. I have three jobs. I'm making ends meet. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm not rich. Why do we have to go through this? Weep and howl. The miseries are coming upon you. What is this all about? Well, we have to remember, we live in a small rock in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and every 10 years, they do a, a study, a social economic study, where they take the average income of nations worldwide. As of December 16, 2013, the median annual household worldwide income this is worldwide. Medium meaning 50% of the population make more than this, and the other 50% make less than this. So the average median income annual worldwide is $9,733. Worldwide, the average family makes $10,000 a year. And the median per capita, which means per uh, child or per individual 15 years and up, is $3,000, according to the new Gallup, metric, uh, Gallup metrics. Which means, United States, the, average annual, the median annual household income is $43,585. Half make more, half make less, about forty-three thousand dollars the poorest country median income is Liberia the average median income per family make seven hundred eighty one dollars per year per year each person makes a hundred eighteen dollars per year so which means Comparatively speaking, in light of the context of everywhere else, with the exception of the small little island and United States, we are, by the world standards, very wealthy. 
we make four times as much as the rest of the general population. See, the worst thing we can do is when we read the Bible, you know, oh, the Pharisees, they're so stupid, <laughs> right? Or Israel, how come that's what happened? That's what they get. They kept complaining, kept complaining. Hello, it's you, it's me, right? I'm the Pharisee. I'm Israelite wandering, complaining, always doubting God. In this, in this instance, I am that rich person. So there's this pronouncement of come now, the, the, weep, cry out loud. Micah chapter 1 verse 8, Joel chapter 1 verse 8. There's this idea of there's judgment coming upon you. And so here's the main point of these six verses. Would you write this down? Here's the big idea is that the misuse of wealth and the abuse of power will bring God's judgment. Two things, because we're wealthy, we all qualify for this, right? The misuse of money, misuse of wealth that God has given us and that we work for, and the abuse of power, it will bring about God's judgment. You know, Francis Chan, I love that dude. But he's super radical. He just announced last week that he's moving to Asia. I'm like, okay, I thought you were in San Francisco. Anyways, and so he, to illustrate the point that how rich we are as Americans, he, to his cornerstone church in Simi Valley, which is high makamaka, kind of like Hawaii Kai. <laughs> Anyways, and so he got a $5 bill out of his pocket, and he crumpled it up, and he threw it at the audience. You know what everyone's response? Ah, $5, right? Instead of grabbing it, they're like, oh, I don't want that $5 crumpled up. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Now, Matthew chapter 6 will illustrate what it means of what I believe the thrust of James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Jesus talks about it. Let's go ahead and turn there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure, where you put your money, indicates where your heart is. So many times, well-meaning Christian is like, you know, I plan to serve, I plan to give, I plan, my heart is to be generous, but I just don't have the funds. Well, Jesus said, and James says, man, where your treasure is, there, there's your heart. You tell, your heart tells your money where to go. So wherever, so you must have internet, you must have a cell phone, you must have Netflix, right? You must have cable. So those things, you have a Macy's bill, right? You have a credit card bill. So those things are really where your treasure is at, Jesus says. And we're not to, supposed to lay up have earthly treasure. So we're talking about laying up treasures, earthly treasures. And there's two things. Number one, would you write down this misuse of money? How do we misuse money? Because remember, the misuse of money and the abuse of power will bring God's judgment. How do we misuse money? Verses 2 and 3 explains that to us. When we selfishly hoard possessions. How do we misuse money that God has given us when we hoard possessions? Let's look at verses 2 to 3. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Let me pause there for a second. 
the average peasant in the ancient Near East, first century, had one, one shirt and one pants, one tunic, and that was it. To have more than one, to have multiple clothing, it was a, a sign of your extravagance. It was a sign, it was an expression of your opulence. Do you guys remember Joseph and the coat? Joseph had this crazy technicolor dream coat. I was like, ah, what? You're showing off, right? Verse 3, your gold and your silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Look at verse 3. You have laid up treasure in these last days. I believe because I studied this about 16 or 18 years ago. I spent six weeks in the Greek exegesis of James, and I had this assignment. I believe you have laid up treasure in the last days that this is what we call bilateral, meaning it's right in the middle of these two, it's right in the middle of this verses one through six. When we store up treasure in the last days, it is the grounds and it's the reason why we misuse funds and why we abuse power. Does that make sense? So uh, storing up treasure in the last days is the reason why we selfishly hoard possessions. As you think about it, I think about it, take a look at your closet, right? Um, on my phone, I have this app called Nextdoor app, okay? I have it for 96821, Kulio'o area, and some Hawaii Kai people try to get it. I'm like, get out of here. Anyways, and so I love Hawaii Kai people. Anyways, and so in, my, uh, in this Nextdoor app, there was an outrage. People were triggered because Mayor Kirk Caldwell said instead of monthly bulky item pickup every last Friday of the month, you now have to call in and schedule, and you're limited to four bulky items. And people were outraged, right? I don't know if you've ever driven through Lunalilo Home Road at the end of the month, but the peninsula, it just looks like a, a dump, right? It just looks like so much stuff, furniture, appliances, clothes. The way that you and I misuse what God has gifted us is if we buy our stuff, if we, we work hard, we earn the money, but we just acquire more things. Sometimes you go through it like, you know, it just may be me in here, but, you know, sometimes you go through Ross, dress for less, and you go and you're just like, oh, this is a nice shirt. But it's a size, it's a size too small. You know what? It's such a good deal. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to, when I lose weight, I'll keep it. Oh, there's another one. It's the same size, right? How many of you have gone through your closet and there's tags in it still? How many shoes do you have in your closet? I have shoes. I have boots that are like 12, 15, 16 years old. I don't know why I have it. I'm not going to go hiking. Like, I have it. You know, 
And James says, hey, come now, you rich, man. Your, 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 your garments, your gold, your silver, they're moth-eaten, they're corroded, and they're going to be evidence against you. You're just storing up treasure in these last days, James says. So may, just a quick application, could I just encourage you this Black Friday, could you just stay home and be grateful? <laughs> All the husbands paid me to say that, all right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you, can you just like, hey, I don't need more stuff. I, do I really need this? Okay? Now, secondly, second misuse of money, not only in the hoarding of possessions, but self-indulgent lifestyle. Let's look at verse 12 or verse 5. How do we misuse money when we indulge ourselves? You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Now, the rich and their guests, they consumed meat, so much meat in a day of slaughter. For example, they would have a feast, like 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 4, and once an animal was slaughtered, as much possible meat was eaten, and they would feast because the rest could only be preserved by drying and salting. So meat was generally unavailable to the poor except public festivals. And the picture here is that rich people, like you and I, like me, we just indulge. And we hashtag treat yourself. Like, man, I, I deserve this. I've been so good. You know, you try to be content, you're just like, oh. And you drive by CPK, you got to rebuke that in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> you just got to, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Just help me to be content. Is it, hey, let me just bring balance to this. Um, Titus says that God has freely given us all things to enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy life. We live in stinking paradise. Just look at, go any afternoon, go to sunset and just watch the beauty of God. But what, what James is warning us against here is not only the acquisition and the hoarding of possessions, but just indulgent lifestyle that, that treating yourself has become a, like a lifestyle, that you're more entitled than being grateful. And James, he, he warns against that. But that's the bad news, but I got good news for you. Can you guys say Amen. Here's the good news. It's this, that godly contentment is the cure. What is, the sickness is what? We hoard stuff, and we selfishly lavish ourselves and treat ourselves, and we feel entitled. What is the cure? Contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. Watch the play on words by Paul here, because we can't gain anything in the afterlife but in this life, where we brought nothing into the world and we can take anything out of the world. We can't gain anything when we leave earth. Verse 8. I love how Paul clarifies what godly contentment is. And what is contentment? If we have food, if we have clothing, with these we will be content. Do you notice James doesn't say shelter? Why? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 
Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That even Jesus did not have the security of a shelter. Am I against buying a home? Absolutely not. But what I am saying, does that mean that we're to be complacent and just not strive for financial freedom or strive and do our best? Well, God, that's not what I'm saying. We're supposed to steward and steward faithfully what God has given us. What I am saying is if you and I want to combat and fight against always buying stuff, always treating ourselves, always being entitled, always swiping the card and getting ourselves into debt, then we are to be content. Ask yourself two questions. Do I have food? Open your refrigerator. Right? Some of you guys have Costco chicken in there that's been like for six weeks. You know what I'm saying? Let's just be real, right? <laughs> Open your refrigerator. Is, are there clothes on your back? Yes. You know what? I'm going to learn contentment. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Contentment is not settlement. Contentment is gratitude. That you and I, oh, I'll just be content with what I have. I'll just be content with this old shirt. No, Lord, thank you so much for the shirt. Thank you so much. You know, people, you know, I actually got an email. I was like, uh, Pastor John, how come you always wear the same pants and the same shirt? I'm like, you caught me on the wrong days. That's why. Every time I see you, it's on Thursday. That's my Thursday shirt. And so, <laughs> and you notice, I'm like, he only wears like those brown khakis. Or he has those blue khakis, and he has those brown shoes and those black shoes, and then he has like four Aloha shirts. That's his wardrobe, right? But I'm learning to be content. Lord, who am I going to try to impress? I already scored the lottery with Renee. What, what? Right? <laughs> like, what? man, if I have food, if I have clothing with this, I will be content. Number two, would you write down abuse of power? Abuse of power. That the second way that God's judgment is when there's abuse of power. How to abuse power? Two ways. Number one is the defrauding of workers. Verse four. Behold, the wages. Um, I want you to track the personification. You have this inanimate object called cries, right? Or the wages. Look. The wages, which is paychecks, of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, the wages are what? Crying out. It kind of matches chapter 5, verse 1. Weep and wail, weep and howl, cry out against you. And the wages cry, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. How do we misuse power, misuse wealth? By defrauding. You know, the law of Moses forbade withholding wages even overnight. If the injured worker cried out to God, God would avenge that person. Deuteronomy 24, 14, 14 through 15, Leviticus 19, 13, Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, Jeremiah 22, 13, Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. 
that God hears injustice, that God understands, that God takes note, that God is moved. This is one of the greatest theological terms that you and I must come to term with, is that Jesus responds to suffering here on earth. Why did God send Moses? The cries of my people have reached me. Jonah chapter 1, their wickedness have reached up before me. James chapter 5, the cries of the harvesters have reached. And, you know, the word there, the Lord of the host, in Greek there, that's kuryu sabaoth, meaning literally, (laughs) literally it means God of the armies. You notice it doesn't say uh, Heavenly Father, but God of the armies. Oh, not scared. Anyways. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's been, there's been enough healing and some time has passed. Uh, Renee mentioned in first service that my parents are going to be here for Thanksgiving along with my brother and my other brother, and it's, we're going to have a family Thanksgiving, but... Um, I'm actually going to have, have uh, my dad um, preach on December 1st. So it won't be Filipino word of the day. It's Filipino sermon of the week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the whole thing will be Filipino. Anyways. So um, anyways, um, there was a point in time where uh, I worked as a youth pastor. I was married uh, to Renee. We had two kids. And um, I pleaded with a board of the church of which he was the pastor of, because we were making $4,000 below poverty level as a youth pastor, college pastor, associate pastor, $4,000 below poverty level. At that time, Renee was making a whopping $75 a month for the church, leading youth worship, college worship, and Sunday morning worship. And we cried out to God. It's like, God, is this the plan that you have for us? Lord, what is going on? And God heard. And God put us on the most beautiful place on earth to start a church, to be surrounded with people who love and who are generous, to be surrounded by counsel who believe, who support who invest. God hears. And I was just talking to a woman yesterday who is going through the process of divorce. The husband is super wealthy. Ex-husband was, is wealthy, comes from a family of, of wealth, and she's just being mistreated. She has three boys. She's barely getting by. He's like, man, he makes 30000 a month. I make 2000 a month. He can't even help pay for stuff. I'm trying to go to mediation. I can't afford to pay for mediation. The cries of the, when, when people are being mistreated, when money is held back, if, if what is due is not given and people cry out to God, God hears. So my encourage, may I encourage you this morning
that this is why John Calvin, um, the theologian says, you know, that James wrote this because he wanted to, he wanted those who are faithful not to envy those who are rich. He's like, hey, miseries are coming upon them. They, they will get, they're going to get theirs, all right? But don't envy them, but I want you guys to be faithful. That's why in verse 7, he jumps off and says, be patient until the coming of the day of the Lord. Just be patient. Check your heart. Make sure your attitude is good. The Lord will show up and the Lord will show off. Can I get an amen? Amen. And number two is the condemning of righteous. How do you abuse power when you condemn the righteous? When people who are living right, you, you, you suppress them. You try to put them away. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy because James the just, James who wrote this, actually was martyred and he was killed for, for defending the poor in the expanse in the hands of the rich and the powerful. And so what is the antidote to abuse of power? It's right here, generosity. Would you write that down? And we'll go ahead and close with this, generosity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And as we read this, may I encourage you to have a paradigm shift of how you think, of what you think, of what your purpose is, of why you clock in and why you clock out why you work so hard, yeah, you provide for your family and all these different things, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives an application on how we are to live as new creation in Christ. He goes, put on the old self, put on the new self. I want you to start doing this. And look at it, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. So this is the old self. The, the thief used to steal, but instead of stealing, you labor. You do honest work with your own hands. Look at this result clause. What is the result of you and I working hard? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How do you not abuse power? By being generous. How do you, what is the, the cure to mistreating people and abusing your power? Hey, when you work hard, it's not so that you could buy more stuff. It's not so that you could treat yourself. It's so that you could share and give to those who are in need. So generosity is the antidote. Psalm 112, verse 5. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. So in the culture that we live at, where amassing material wealth it's not only condoned, but it's admired. I can think of my own ancestry, Imelda Marcos. What is she made famous for? <laughs> shoes, rooms and rooms and rooms of shoes. We Christians need to come to grips with this point in James and ask ourselves seriously, when do we have too much? John D. Rockefeller, who at one time was the richest, wealthiest person alive, the first ever American billionaire in the early 1900s. He's still considered as the richest person in modern history. A reporter asked him, hey, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. 
that is not the heart of the Christ follower. Our heart is to be grateful. We have food, we have clothing, we work hard so that we could share with those in need. We don't work hard so that we could spend it all on ourselves so we could buy more stuff and fill up and keep the storage industry and self-storage industry booming. We do this so that we could not lay up treasures, earthly treasures in the last days, but we lay up heavenly treasures. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this morning, O oh God, and whew, what a challenge from your word. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit right now because you need to change our desires. You need to change our hearts because we want to be current. We want to be in. We want to be popular. We want to be relevant in pop culture. We want to be famous. We want to be wealthy. We want all these things. And it takes the Spirit of God himself to change our desires. Lord, for some of us here this morning, the word for them is contentment. And contentment may not just, is not limited to material possessions, but contentment may mean the season of their life in their singleness. So, Lord, may they be grateful, O oh God. Others, Lord, you need to change and tweak our worldview. We work, we labor, we strive so that we could spend it all on ourselves, so we could get the coolest toys, the nicest cars, we could upgrade our nice homes, get the nicest clothes. But Lord, I pray that we would work so that we could give and share to those in need. So Lord, would you fill your people, Lord, with generosity? Father, I ask right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give us not only the desire, but would you give us strength, oh God, strength to do the hard things because lord we know what we ought to do but james reminds us but if we don't do what we ought to do then to us it is a sin and lord we want to live lives that are pleasing before you so lord these areas in your life in our lives that you're highlighting i pray father that you lord would strengthen us Lord, I pray that you would change our appetites, Lord, that you would change, Lord God, our palates, Lord, that we would not live for the passing pleasures of this world, but we would live, Lord, in your kingdom of righteousness, peace, and the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you, God, for adding substance to our life, for adding a depth, Lord God, to our existence here on earth. Lord, that you add meaning and purpose, Lord God, to our nine to five. You add meaning and purpose to our Monday through Sunday, Lord. That you add meaning and purpose, oh Lord God, in our parenting, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our leisure, Lord. That you are in the middle of it all because you are the Lord of it all. So Lord Jesus, have your way. Be the king. Be the king of our hearts. Be the king of our minds. Be the king of our actions. Be the king of our thoughts, oh Lord Jesus so that you would be glorified in everything that we do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.